Welcome to the Servants Feast Christian Ministry Podcast with Reverend Elizabeth Moreau. Elizabeth wrote the From Call to Scent Discipleship series that includes six books and two retreats for the intellectual and spiritual development of Christians in the local church. In Elizabeth's From Called to Scent series, she often tells us there is more. Christianity is so much more than just attending church and Sunday school. The riches of our faith are beyond what we can hope or imagine. Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elizabeth passionately teaches the treasures of Christian life to the end that we grow and mature and experience an abundant life in Christ. Her reflections on topics and issues of the day always point to Jesus with the purpose of advancing his kingdom. She desires for us all to understand the deep and rich heritage we inherit from the historic and universal church. In Romans, Paul tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With this thought, let us continue our journey of transformation and renewal as Elizabeth shares her teaching through this podcast. Well, welcome. This is Elizabeth, and I am so excited to be here with you. Um, this is the first real podcast I've done in a while. I've used um, uh, some lessons that I taught as podcasts, I think, earlier in the summer. But uh, it's been a really wild and crazy summer, I have to say. Uh, I sold my home, which was kind of unexpected, but I decided, hey, the market's good. Now's a good time. <clears throat> and I uh, moved. I'm downsizing. I currently am downsized into my uh, sister and brother-in-law's spare bedroom. But, I mean, it's a... Um, it's a, it's a big change, and yet I will tell you, I feel like I'm entering a time of blessing. I really do. Um, there's, it's sort of a time of respite, and, and my soul is at ease with all of this, and um, I'm experiencing a lot of contentment, and I'm just so grateful for that. And um, so anyway, but I, uh, I'm having a hard time getting everything done. I can't figure out how to make all my technology work when I moved it from here to yawn. Uh, I don't have a keyboard for my, for my computer. I don't have my mouse or my trackpad. I'm thinking, well, I don't know how to find all that and make all that stuff work. Um, I need a 12-year-old. We need to roll back labor laws and say any technologically advanced 12-year-old is employable under law. So anyway, um, fortunately, my brother-in-law came to my rescue last night and put together the podcasting machine finally because I could not figure it out. It's been an interesting summer also for other reasons. I mean, if you're Methodist, you know that the whole world is in a tizzy. There's a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of broken friendships, a lot of accusations and things being said and stuff like that. It's a hard time, a lot of anger and betrayal on both sides of the divide in the United Methodist Church. But, you know, the United Methodist Church isn't all that big, and uh, Methodists don't constitute that much of the nation any longer. But um, And so there's a, a whole lot of world outside the Methodist Church But, you know, if we take a look at that, I don't think it's faring all that well either, the world around us. You know, the elections are coming, which just kind of, you know, oh, my gosh. You know that whatever comes next, we're going to have people screaming that the other side's cheating and the losers are going to say that they're being completely unfair, blah, 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 and there's going to be division and conflict in the nation again. You know, what's at stake is the power to define and to control, you know, what America's going to be, our resources, our you know, our um, economy, our uh, daily activities, you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a sorry state of affairs in which we find ourselves these days, I think. You know, there's just complete kind of breakdown or meltdown or whatever. And, I, and I'm, I'm in a good place. My, for me, I mean, I am very 
at ease at the moment, and I, I have a lot of confidence in Christ. But for right now, I think the world around us is not feeling all that confident. So let's open with a word of prayer. I think if we're going to talk about all this stuff, we ought to open with a word of prayer. Hear my prayer, Heavenly Father. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to the knowledge and love of you in Jesus Christ. Grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you in your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'll tell you, I think it is an important time for all Christians. There are, as I, as I mentioned um, uh, just a second ago, um, there are huge changes occurring, and they're occurring nationally, they're occurring internationally. I think it's an exciting time to be a Christian, uh, but I also think it's a demanding time to be a Christian. It's mostly the, important, the relevant thing to point out is that it is our time to be Christians. You know, we were born into this time and into this place, and if we trust God that, that he is sovereign over human history, then if we're going to take him at his word, then I think he wants you and me to be in this generation, and he wants us, you know, to, um, uh, to be his children, to be his witness, to be his voice in, in our world today. We're living in a time of unprecedented change, primarily because we have we can change. It's been change has been accelerated by technology and by by science, and and there's all sorts of um, realigning going on in the nation and in the world and places like that. Um, technology has made it possible for us to see dramatic changes. I mean, just almost um, uh, overnight, because people because we have that capacity. The world needs, what our world needs, I think, right now, is for Christians to be really and fully Christian. And I'm not sure that all of us even know what that means. What does it mean to be really Christian or to be fully Christian? But here's, here's what I do know. When turmoil is great, right, um, it, it, opens, uh, it opens gaps in society. It opens gaps um, and it opens minds. People are fearful and they begin to look around and they look for answers. Um, they'll, they'll be, people will be scrambling because the, the ground underneath them is uncertain. As, as whenever there's turmoil, whenever there's chaos, then people, um, people will, will, will consider things they would never consider uh, when they are... When, 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 life is, when life is going well, when, when they are in control and, and they don't have any great needs. Um, and that, that works both ways, negatively and positively. And so we want to be the positive voice of the gospel in the middle of a chaotic world. And our world is really very chaotic right now. And um, we want people to be able to, in this, in this occasion, when there's, when there's difficulties and turmoil and chaos and stuff, we want to be the voice of Christ speaking into that. So, because people will be able to hear the gospel. They'll be able to hear horrible things too. They have to choose. But the Holy Spirit can move when then there is chaos. I mean, it, when, when we're broken up with our contentment, we can, you know, we're, we're, we're prepared to hear something new or different. But what we have to decide as Christians is whether or not we're going to live the gospel. We, and, and I don't think that we do. I think that the gospel is the most powerful force for good in the history of the world. It is the most powerful force for transformation. It's the most powerful force for hope. And it has been given to us. It's our inheritance. You know, and now is not the time to be afraid of what's happened in the world, but to recover the gospel and to recover our hope and to recover the transformation and for us to be bold, you know, um, you know, if, if you were left a huge inheritance, for example, you had a rich uncle someplace who left you a huge inheritance, why would you want to keep living in poverty? 
I mean, you know, you wouldn't, would you? If you won the lottery, would you live in poverty? But we live in spiritual poverty all the time, and we don't have to. The riches of the kingdom of God are available to us. We don't have to be living in spiritual poverty, but we do that, okay? Uh, because we don't know any better, because we don't think it all the way through, because we don't understand what the gospel is. And I will tell you this, one of the most important takeaways of the division in the United Methodist Church is that it revealed that Christians don't really know what Christianity is. They don't really understand. We do not fully understand what Christianity is. Christianity is not something that we do on Sunday morning while you're living the American dream the rest of the time. And I will tell you, the American dream is kind of, uh, it's kind of like declining here. It's especially important to remember that we are not living the American dream and just attending church on Sunday, that we are God's children. Because the American dream is changing very rapidly. I have two illustrations I want to use here, okay? Um, and uh, they, both of them are cultural, political, whatever. And I'm not, I'm not interested in debating who's right and who's wrong and all that. They're, they're points that I want us to take away from this. They're taken from the news. And the first is that in the last week, just this last week, I've read have two different or heard two different um, uh, podcasts or, or whatever videos um, that were uh, discussing civil war in the United States today, right? Civil war. And one of them was a uh, conservative guy, and one of them was a New York Times podcast. What are the odds? New York Times podcast. Okay, and the, uh, let's start there. The New York Times podcast was focused entirely on the prosecution of Trump and stopping the MAGA movement and all this other kind of stuff. And they were discussing how they thought that DeSantis was just a polite uh, Donald Trump and that, you know, that, that people were going to react really negatively if they prosecuted Trump, which I think is probably true. But, uh, but you know, they, the importance of, like, trying to um, get people to... Um, turn away from, they were trying to figure out how to peel people off of the Trump agenda and stuff like that. And um, here's the thing, I want to go, at no point did they ever consider that 80 million people had an opinion that they ought, that, that these New York Times folks ought to be listening to, that they ought to hear what they have to say. I mean, you know, it didn't matter what, you know, I don't know, it doesn't matter what I was saying, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks, they know what's right, and so all these other people are wrong. It was such a, it's such a, uh, I, I don't know whether Trump broke laws or not. I don't know if he should be indicted or not. I don't know if he should, you know, I, I do think you shouldn't break into the Capitol. I think January 6th stuff was wrong, but I also don't think there's equality under the law. I'll get to that in a minute. But I mean, you know, it, I just can't get past, you know, um, the, the, the fact that they completely, um, they completely uh, just disregarded the views or the expectations of half the nation. And they, as if, as if nobody else had a legitimate thought anywhere for any time. I thought that was beyond strange. But it was true. The second, the second one, okay, um, they, the, second, the second thing that I saw was a guy who was a conservative, and he was, the video, he was um, from Claremont Institute, which I think is a more conservative think tank or something like that. And he talked about the irreconcilable breach between the left and the right, between, you know, um, the, I don't know, what is it, the elites and the regular people and stuff like that. And um, he, he said it was, he was arguing that it was, or he was arguing he, his, his case was that um, it was um, uh, more visible post-COVID, but since we all went into COVID together and stuff, you could see all these divisions break up because it isolated people, and you could see how clearly divided the people were, all right? And his, his point was that there is no equal justice under the law any longer, 
all right, that there is no longer a common American identity, no melting pot, there's no longer a common morality, that people are doing evil things and calling it good or whatever. And he wasn't even speaking from a Christian point of view. He was simply arguing about the harm being done with some of the ideas that we have. He's talking about there's no border, there's no national pride, blah, 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 blah. He goes on and on and on with all this stuff. So my point is, if you look at it nationally, you have these two sides that completely, that see the world completely differently. Okay, And I think the second guy is right in the sense that it's an irreconcilable breach. It's very much like, um, what do I say, it's very much like uh, the Methodist Church right now, I mean, in that we have such, such wide opinions, such varied opinions. They're so different, you know, and um, they're kind of irreconcilable. You, you can't all agree. And um, everything cannot be true, you know. The second um, illustration I want to use is really kind of unnerving, okay? It was for me when I was first started reading about it, and, and I read it. It was an executive order that was issued about a month ago, an executive order would be out of the, um, I guess, Biden presidency, uh, out of the um, president's office, right? So um, here's what it is. It's an executive order on advancing the biotechnology and biomanufacturing innovation for a sustainable, safe, and secure American bioeconomy. I think that sounds really good, don't you? Biotechnology, biomanufacturing innovation, sustainable, safe, and secure American bioeconomy. Y'all know what that means? Here's what it spells out. <laughs> this is what the order is. It's not funny. It's terrifying. It's the development of genetic engineering technologies and techniques, right, to be able to rewrite the circuitry for cells, and predictably program biology in the same way that we write software and program computers. It also will have genetic technologies that will unlock the power of biological data using computing tools and artificial intelligence. Do you hear that? Developing genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to rewrite or write circuitry for cells in your body, in my body, and predictably, predictably program biology in the same way we write software and program computers. And have genetic technologies to unlock the power of biological data using computing tools and artificial intelligence. Wow, no small hubris there, is there? They, um, these were being the, the, this technology is going to be fast tracked using the mRNA shots, okay, um, and other gene therapies like that, um, and they're going to uh, create augmented human beings, augmented human beings. We're going to augment human beings and bring us into a post-human world. How interesting is that? Fast track pipe through the pipeline of mRNA vaccine shots and other gene therapies bring us to a post-human world. Now, then the mRNA technology I'm that they were talking about is not COVID or not the COVID shots. I, don't, I want to be clear that, that I don't, I, that, that what, I, what I read indicated that was not, that the COVID shots did not include those sorts of things, right? And I'm not an authority on the whole thing, but I did read the whole, art, whole article, and it has to do with nanobots that, they, um, that will modify our genetics. And I, and, and I knew that China, I had seen some time ago, um, that earlier this year, maybe, I don't know, February, March, something like that, that China was working on military applications of, of this sort of thing, that they were going to create super, sol super soldiers. I can't seem to talk today. Super soldiers, right? And um, 
it turns out the U.S. Department of Defense is jumping on that bandwagon too. They're also going to be part of it. And, and in this same article that was talking about the, um, the, the executive order, right, said the U.S. Department of Defense Biotechnologies, here's a report, report, right? All right, They're, they have a Biotechnologies for Health and Human Performance Council's report, and it is called Cyborg Soldier 2050. It's a human machine, a human machine fusion, and its implications for the Department of Defense in the future. I think that ought to terrify us. We're creating super soldiers to go around and kill. We're combining them with machines and computers that will pre- reprogram their thought. There are a lot of things in life I don't know. I will admit that to you, uh, but I want to think about. You know um, about what we what 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 we're saying here. I was reading the comments. You know the discussion of the advantages and how people are always saying bad stuff about you know new new attempts to you know improve on medicine or whatever use different types of medicine to heal and this that and the other and how that's always people always are are slow to adapt to that. Okay, but um, that this isn't going to. People are talking about the ability to uh, improve our functional capacities. You're not talking about a medicine that will make you well or make you healthy. You're talking about transforming what a human being is. I want you to think about that. This is the one use technology to change what a human being is. It doesn't matter if they have artificial limbs or they grow a spare liver for your body or they use, you know, actually adult stem cells are very rich or, or whatever. Anyway, but if, if, they, if, you can, if you can heal a disease or something like that, you're not, that's not the same thing as creating a new, a new creature, making some sort of like post-human machine man or whatever. Uh, it, 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 that's entirely different. Tech, form of technology, a totally different kind of medicine, right? We want to we want to be smarter. We want to be healthier. We want to live long and all that kind of. There are lots of comments that were positive about about this technology, and there are comments that 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 lack that lack any kind of like wisdom, without any kind of awareness of the frailty of the human creature, right? I, I know y'all will be shocked and stunned to discover this, but Pfizer, Pfizer and Moderna already have this in the works. They're in stage three testing. I don't know what stage three testing is. I got tired of reading it. But they have prototypes in the pipeline already for genetic engineering using shots. There are smart people in science someplace who want to modify human beings. They want to make us into something that we are not. It's like a sci-fi movie, only it's real. They want, to, want us to interface with our smartphones and enhance our, our biological, you know, data and the biological records and all that other kind of stuff. That just creeps me out, right? So the question in my mind is to what end? What is the goal of melding human beings and nanobots and artificial intelligence? What is the goal? What are we building? I mean, I'm not talking about some sort of conspiracy theory, some grand, you know, explanation of how all the world's, you know, whatever, but I'm asking the question about what is the vision we are seeking to become? Who is choosing this vision, right? We're moving and we're progressing forward someplace to where? Where are we going? Somebody somewhere has a vision of the world, and they believe they can bring it into being, right? They can can make it happen. And the vision includes fundamentally changing the human creature, moving toward what they call transhuman. We're going to be transhuman. Human beings enhanced by computers. I want you to think about that. What are they programming in us? To what end? Right? 
The whole exploration is is based on a vision of a more perfect world, but whose vision and what is perfection? This I do know. It is not God's vision. When I say Christians need to recover the fullness of Christian life and faith, this is why. A world without God, um, knowledge without any reference to the Creator, is incomplete and insufficient. Indeed, it is dangerous to have that kind of knowledge. We have despots, we have dictators, we have godless scientists and doctors and stuff. Does anybody really believe that, you know, the, you know, Jinping is a good guy? You know, Xi Jinping? No, he's not. Putin? I don't know. Biden? Trump? I don't know. None of them would strike me as especially admirable, right? And we have, we have doctors and scientists who are working to change what it means to be human. It is not possible to change the human creature. Do you understand that? I mean, you can, you can put all sorts of different nanobots in there and things like that, but human beings are sinful and we're destined for death. That's what we are. We've lo- we're the lost, we're the broken, you know, Imago Dei. And you can augment all you want, but you cannot program sin and death out of a human being. I think that we ought to be honest about that, and the fact that we don't know that is scary. When, I'm, uh, when I say that the world needs the Christians to be fully Christian, I'm talking about the chaos that's going to be unleashed by these godless ideas, these ideas that, that, that completely misinterpret what reality is. I mean, some of what is going on is evil, and it's being called good. You know, we're creating, a, there are people who want to create a brave new world beyond Huxley's wildest imagination. And what we as Christians ought to know instinctively is that this is what, what human beings do when we deny God. We are able to justify any evil, and we're willing to, ta- to do whatever it takes to attain power and wealth and control. And, and you can't have those things. I mean, history is full of unimaginable evils that we have perpetrated against one another and um, against other human beings. You know, and the new technologies just make it easier for us to be crueler. But it doesn't change our nature. We're still awful. So what I say to you is, after all this, you know, the intro of my life is good, I'm all happy, and my passion has not changed. I believe that the only hope this world has is Jesus Christ, and I believe that we are called to stand in the gospel. Not about, not about, you know, power in our world. It's not about victory over others. We need to stand in our gospel proclaiming the power of love, right, and the power of new life in Jesus Christ. We need to claim the eternal victory, for everybody who seeks him, everybody who seeks truth. I've um, kind of fired up on this podcast because it's been a while, and, um, and I'll make several quick points because I'm talking too long, right? American Christianity has been, you know, wed too closely to the culture in which we live, and what that's done to us is it's made us, is that we're now confused and we're, we feel, um, what do I say, under attack because the culture is openly derisive of Christianity, antagonistic toward it, but that's okay. It's okay. You can't bring Christ's salvation to a world if you are the world, you know. So we can't we can't take the gospel to people if we're just like them, and 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 he's not real to us. So it's all right if the world is antagonistic. It doesn't mean the gospel is less. It just means that we need more from Christ. And the second thing I want to say is that Christians struggle with fitting into the culture, and and part of that is because our ideas and our views are shaped more by 21st century America and 21st century Western world than by Christian faith. 
I mean, that's what I was saying earlier about, about the division of Methodism. We don't really know for sure what Christianity is. And we have to recover that, you know? Um, we, we need to look at the ideas that we, we assume and take for granted and say, oh, yeah, of course, that's obviously true. No, no, things are not obviously true. We need to consider their impact on human life. There's some very bad ideas out there. There's some very destructive things going on, and we need to eradicate those ideas from Christianity because they destroy the human creature. We cannot be okay with that. We cannot accept that in our midst. I was, I was reading the other day, and, I, and, and the, the podcast is titled Utopia or Christ. So I was reading the other day, and I learned something new, right? And everybody else may already know this. I did not, right? Thomas More was a man who lived in the 16th century. He was a Renaissance kind of guy, and uh, he, was, he was a Christian humanist, which I think is a contradiction of terms, but that's a conversation for another day. But anyway, Thomas More wrote a book, and he entitled it Utopia, Right? And uh, it, the book was written, I think, in 1512 or something like that. But it's a book about this imaginary island where there's a perfect system of justice, a perfect legal code, perfect economic, you know, distribution, perfect social standards, everything, everything knitted together perfectly. And the island was named, the book was named, and the island was named Utopia. And the word comes from the Greek, uh, comes from Greek, ou, O-U, ou, is a, is a negative. It means not, Okay. And topia is from topo, also a Greek word, which means land. So the literal translation of the imaginary island um, named utopia, the literal translation of the word utopia is no land, no place, nowhere. There's no place where perfect life can exist in our world. So like in time, I don't know, 100 years or so, right? They begin redefining utopia simply by changing the prefix, right? Uh, instead of using the Greek OU as Thomas More had used for his imaginary island that doesn't exist, uh, it was changed to the Greek EU, U, or whatever, which means good. So nowhere and no place, right, changed to a good place, an ideal place that, that, could, that was attainable, that was achievable, that we were looking for. And that is the project of the Renaissance followed by the Enlightenment. And, you know, so... Um, that's how we understand it today. It's a perfect place, perfect ideal. And we have forgotten that it was imaginary in the outset. Utopia is imaginary. It's a simple little twist to a word, right? Because we don't want to think that, that we cannot change the world. We don't want to believe that human beings can't be gods, that we can't control and run, you know, the world. We don't want to believe that we're contingent and unnecessary. So we're going to change no place to a perfect place. We're going to redefine it as if we can make it true. But it won't make it true. It's going to make it horrible. We Christians need a sense of urgency. I really do believe that. Because there are brilliant people who lack humility and therefore lack wisdom, no matter how smart they are. And they are taking nations and people to no place. Wherever they're going is not going to be good. They're striving to, to, for some sort of utopian vision, and it will end up and bring about horrific pain and suffering in our world. If you think cyborg soldiers are not going to create suffering, then I think you are hiding your head in the sand. And we're doing this on purpose. Cyborg soldiers by 2050 in the U.S. China's looking to try to beat that. Right? I'm not, I'm, you know... I'm not interested in fighting with all the powers that be. I am interested in spreading the gospel. 
You know, and first, we need to spread the gospel among the Christians. The Christians need to know what they're talking about. When I think about um, is that Christianity has changed the direction of nations over and over and over again in history, and it's done by individuals, single Christians, and all those Christians belong to and are fed by the church, the bride of Christ. From the very beginning, following Pentecost, you see this church alive with the presence of God among them. It wasn't some newfangled, free-for-all, you know, sort of happy-clappy religion like we're inclined to think. You know, that's a common sort of image that we hold today, but that's not, that's, that's not accurate. It was a Jewish community. It was, it, it, Christianity was Jewish in its origins, just as Jesus was Jewish. And it had forms of worship. It had spiritual practices. It had habits. It had a strong community. It was distinct from the world around it. But above all else, it was shaped by the doctrinal integrity of the scriptures okay, and of the writings in the early church. And when I say the writings in the early church, I'm talking about the, the, from the very outset, the bishops who wrote back and forth and defended the faith. We need to recover that Christianity, and we need to do so ecumenically. i got to tell you, it makes me crazy when Methodists argue with each other about, you know, we're, we're all debating all this other, you know, stuff about, you know, uh, sexuality and stuff like that. But, but the flip side of that is when I hear the Baptists all quoting Scripture to me and living immoral lives themselves. I'm like, oh, well, just because you know how to read the Bible doesn't mean that you know that you're applying it or living it fully. Oh, but we have the Bible. Well, that you don't look different from anybody else. I mean, and that's unfair, but what I'm saying is, is it's an ecumenical problem, and we need an ecumenical solution. You know, and when I say ecumenical, I want to say unified in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, in the scriptures, all the above. You know, there, was, there was doctrinal integrity that came from the scriptures. If you believe the scriptures, you cannot believe other things. Some things are false. And if you're, here's what I would say. We need, this needs to apply to small groups, and it needs to apply to entire congregations. Well, y'all, we have within us the very presence of God, the life and power of God to bring forth good in our world, new birth and hope and joy and life and love. I don't think we need to be afraid. I think we need to be bold and say, there's a Savior. Have hope, Right? If you're not going to live a Christian life, if you're not going to live, you know, in, in out of the Holy Spirit in you, if you're not going to be a bearer of the image of God, then I think my question to you is why bother pretending to be Christian? I mean, you know, what are you getting from it? This generation does not need any more milk toast Christians. We don't need any more spiritual pablum, you know. We need Christians who know God. People who need, people need to see the reality of the transcendent divine within us. And I think we Christians need to know and see that also. We've become accustomed to a little God because we're all very smart Americans. Isn't that right? We're all very smart Americans? No, we're not smart. You know, we need to enter into, you know, our God who is not small. He is infinite. He's eternal. He is beyond human knowledge, but not beyond our experience. We can encounter him. We need to engage the transcendent kingdom of our Lord in worship and in prayer. We need to abide in truth. We need to be joined in fellowship with one another. We need to be accountable to our God with each other. And every day we should be changed just a little bit more to look more like our destiny of life in Jesus Christ than death in the world. It's important because our world has lost any kind of idea or, or vision of the transcendent. It's caught in hopelessness. We have this moment and nothing else. It's kind of meaningless. Choose who you are and hang on by all, with all your strength because if you choose wrong, you've now just ruined your own life and there's no possibility for redemption or hope. 
you know, as Christians, we need to combat that. We need to be conduits of the divine, carrying the divine into the world, the transcendent God, what is all that is holy and good and perfect. And people cannot see and imagine God unless he is seen in us. I am absolutely convinced that God is going to act. I am. He will not tolerate such hubris among the nations. He's not going to, you know. And we are called to be his children in this world, in this time, and in this generation. And we're supposed to be the bridge between the world that has no knowledge of the divine and the divine Savior who is pursuing the world to save it. That's who we are. Our world is so lost, y'all. It thinks it's so smart. It thinks it's so brave. And I want to push back against the chaos and the havoc that's, that's going to be created with these ideas. I want us to seek to, to identify lies that, that we believe and, and to, to replace those with the truth instead so that we might be more alive and understand better and see more clearly. Right? Sometimes, y'all, the truth is really painful. But it's nowhere near as painful in the long run as living a lie. You know, it's basically the same thing that I've always done. I'm going to keep on doing even if it's been a, a summer of, of upheaval, good upheaval, but upheaval. But it seems more urgent now. The stakes seem higher now. I guess that's probably not true. The stakes are always high. But um, now we have this vivid illustration of conflict in our world that is so, so completely, it was sci-fi, it was uh, imaginary, it was not real. But we can see the conflict between good and evil, between right and wrong, between life and death. Know this, that if you are choosing utopia, or you're choosing Christ, if you have to choose between choosing utopia and choosing Christ, utopia is nowhere and it is nothing. And Christ, Christ is life, everlasting life, joyful life. It's taking you to, to, to paradise. Let's close with a word of prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you, that we may see your glory. Send your Spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all choose Christ. Don't look for utopia. Choose Christ. Until next time, y'all be blessed now. You hear? You have just heard the latest podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as we continue to explore God's truth as it speaks to our world today with transforming love for all people.